Please take your seats. <clears throat> so we're uh, almost to the end of the book of Numbers, and uh, we're coming up on uh, uh, Numbers chapter 35, and we're going to read uh, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 34. Uh, this text might seem a little odd in the sense that it starts out by talking about the scattering of the tribe of Levi throughout uh, all the cities uh, in Israel, 48 cities, as a matter of fact. And then it moves on to a lot of regulations about what to do if there's murder or manslaughter and what, what you do with that. And you think, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you'll see uh, if you'll bear with me uh, as we uh, as we get into this uh, this morning. So uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, Numbers chapter 35, verses 1 through 34. The text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. The Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Command the people of Israel to give to the Levites some of the inheritance of their possession as cities for them to dwell in. And you shall give to the Levites pasture lands around the cities. The cities shall be theirs to dwell in, and their pasture lands shall be for their cattle and for their livestock and for all their beasts. The pasture lands of the cities, which you shall give to the Levites, shall reach from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. And you shall measure outside the city on the east side, 2,000 cubits, on the south side, 2,000 cubits, on the west side, 2,000 cubits, and on the north side, 2,000 cubits, the city being in the middle. This shall belong to them as pasture land for their cities." The cities that you should give, that you give to the Levites shall be the six cities of refuge where you shall permit the manslayer to flee. And in addition to them, you shall give 42 cities. All the cities that you give to the Levites shall be 48 with their pasture lands. And as for the cities, you shall give from the possession of the people of Israel. From the larger tribes, you shall take many. And from the smaller tribes, you shall take few, each in proportion to the inheritance that it inherits shall give of its cities to the Levites. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And the cities that you shall give, the, the cities that you give shall be your six cities of refuge. You shall give three cities beyond the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan to be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them that anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. But if he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he's a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. And if he struck him down with a stone tool that could cause death and he died, he's a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Or if he struck him down with a wooden tool that could cause death and he died, he's a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. The avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death when he meets him and he shall put him to death. And if he pushed him out of uh, out of hatred or hurled something at him, lying in wait so that he died, or an enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, Then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He's a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. But if he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything on him without lying in wait or used a stone that could cause death and without seeing him dropped it on him. Now, that's a winner right there. (laughs) That's 
that's my that's my favorite one right there. You know, uh, didn't see you. Sorry, I had this boulder upstairs in my house, and uh, I dropped it on you. Right? That's a that's a good one. I that's uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so that he died, though he was not his enemy, and did not seek his harm. Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood in accordance with these rules. And the congregation shall rescue the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood. And the congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge to which he had fled. And he shall live in it until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer shall at any time go beyond the boundaries of his city of refuge to which he fled... And the avenger of blood finds him outside the boundaries of his city of refuge. And the avenger of blood kills the manslayer. He shall not be guilty of blood. For he must remain in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And these things shall be for a statute and rule for you throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. And you shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for the Lord, I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. Okay, so you, you read this text and you start out by talking about all these cities that the, the Levites are going to live in. And then the next thing you know, you're on to all this stuff about murder and manslaughter and cities of refuge and all of that. And it, it seems like it's two very distinct, unrelated things, but that's not so. They're actually very closely related. Uh, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll explain that to you as we, as we get into this this morning. So what I, what I want to do, it's a long passage and we're not going to cover everything in depth, but there are five things. Five, you know, the typical sermon has three. This is an atypical sermon because I I couldn't get it down to three. I had to get it down to five. So there are five things uh, that arise out of this text. So the first one is the necessity and provision of shepherding pastoral care for Israel and the scattering of the Levites. Now, that, that may seem like an odd thing, right? God is providing for his people and he is providing for the Levites. And so what he says is there are going to be 48 cities scattered throughout all of Israel from the top to the bottom, through the east to the west, where Levites, who are the pastoral uh, people, the, the shepherds, the, the, the religious professionals, are going to be scattered throughout uh, the nation of Israel to bear witness to the truth, to serve the people, to teach them and to care for them, right? In a pastoral way. So God sees the need for people to have shepherding care. The need for people to have pastors who will uh, love them, care for them, and and uh, uh, pray with them, right? So that's one of the reasons why this this happens. Remember, the Levites, their inheritance is essentially the care of, of the temple and and the tabernacle and what goes on uh, with that. Uh, and so they don't really have an inheritance; they don't have a land. And so God's scattering them throughout. Uh, the nation so that they'll be available uh, to care for, for people and to provide for them spiritually. Uh, years ago, many years ago, uh, uh, Marty worked as a, um, as, as 
I don't know, is it okay to use the word secretary, administrative assistant, at a real estate office? And I got to know several of the guys who were realtors in this office, and I, I played racquetball with a couple of them, which was, that was pretty exciting. We'd play early in the morning. And uh, they had a hard time figuring out how it was possible that I could make a living because they did not understand my job. It made no sense to them. Like, dude, you work one day a week. Literally, they said that. What are you doing the rest of the time? <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and they, they never darkened the door of a church, and so it made no sense to them. And, you know, they thought I was just living the life of leisure. Well, the great thing about it was the things changed when one of them had a death in their family. And all of a sudden, oh, you know, I know this guy's a pastor, Maybe I'll talk to him. And so suddenly, you know, my, my time and whatever I had to offer became a little more valuable to them. And so, so one of the things that we think about that is, you know, that God sees the need of people to have a witness to him regularly living in and among uh, the community, right? When, uh, when I was in seminary, there was a little shop that I used to frequent and uh, uh, went there a lot. And the guy figured out that I was a seminary student and that I was studying for pastoral ministry and and he, uh, once he figured that out, he said, you get a discount. And I said, really? That's great. He said, you're going into ministry? I said, yes. He said, you get a discount. In this store, policemen and pastors get a discount because you never know when you're going to need one. Right? <laughs> so, uh, you, you remember that guy? That was funny. Uh, so, um, uh, it, it was, uh, is that, you know, I thought, well, in some sense, God is agreeing with that as he scatters these Levites all over the country because, hey, the Levites need a place to live, but the people need teaching. They need a witness, that sort of thing as well. But there's a lot of irony in the fact that the Levites are the ones who are doing this and that six of the cities are cities of refuge because the Levites are descendants of a murderer. Levi was a murderer, not he didn't drop a rock on somebody out of his second story window. He plotted the death of a lot of people. Yes, go back and read in Genesis 34, the some Jacob and his boys, you know, they're settled there in the land of Canaan. Uh, some local Canaanites, uh, one local Canaanite uh, has a relationship with one of their sisters it inflames Jacob and his sons. They have a negotiation and the Canaanites and their tribe say, you know what? I'll marry her and provide for her if that's OK with you. And so uh, Levi and his brother Simeon say, OK, we'll do that. But we are a special people. <laughs> We're a unique people to God. And we we circumcise all our men. Uh, as a sign of that. So if you guys will be willing to get circumcised, we'll, we'll do this. So the guy's like, we'll do it. We'll do it. So they get circumcised, and while they're healing from their circumcision, Levi and Simeon go and kill them all. Now, what's, what's crazy about that story is, is that uh, they use the covenant sign <laughs> as, as a means for murder. And now here... Centuries later, the descendants of that murderer 
are scattered in cities throughout uh, the community, caring for the spiritual needs of the people. And also within the, the those cities, there are six cities where uh, people who are guilty of unintentional murder get to stay. So you see a, a, God's provision for the Levites, but you also see some irony in the way that grace works here. Secondly, the other thing that you notice about all of these things about anybody who murders and whichever way they murder, whether with a stick or with a stone or with an axe or whatever it is, that anything that's intentional in the taking of human life, uh, the uh, a human life is required to pay for that. Now, what you should see about that is not not a um, uh, not not a, uh, a reason or an apology to, to get us to believe in capital punishment. That it's not so much that as it is the fact that God sees people as being made in His image, and every human being has inherent worth and value. And so, the defacing or the destruction of that image. Uh, is a serious, serious affront to God. So, so whether it's the unborn, whether it's the poor, whether it's the racial minority, whether it's the invalid, whether what the, the disabled, the handicapped, uh, the jerk, the idiot, the moron, you know, whatever the you know our particular classes are, animals. Whichever those, you know, however we classify the, the, the people that aren't worthy, God sees them as having inherent worth and value. And he sees that their value and he, he communicates to his people that anyone who defaces or removes these image bearers because they have inherent worth and value has serious consequences. And God takes that very seriously, Right. And so it's a, it's a pretty important thing for us to see and to, and to think about. In our theological tradition, uh, we have catechisms, questions and answers about uh, um, uh, the faith. And our larger catechism, which is a vast document, uh, as it goes through the Ten Commandments, it takes each of the Ten Commandments and says what's forbidden in this commandment and, and what is positively commanded in this commandment. On the commandment to not murder, the positive uh, uh, reality of that commandment is that we are to be busy, involved, and engaged with the protection and uh, the promotion of life. In ourselves, we're supposed to take care of ourselves, but also of our neighbor. We are to see to it that we, we help our neighbor uh, flourish, that we help our neighbor live, that we help our neighbor have uh, have what is necessary for life, right? And so, so the, the, the truth is, what God's communicating here is, is that His people, as His image bearers, and His own people are, are uh, taking their life, or defacing their life, or devaluing their life in any way, is a terrible crime, and one that God takes very, very seriously. Thirdly, what we notice is, there's a lot in here of, for provisions, for accidental or unintentional murder. Next slide, please, Liz. So a, a great example of that comes from Deuteronomy 19, uh, where Moses is giving some, some cases for people to think about. As when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities, that's a city of refuge, uh, and live. Right. 
That's a, that makes sense to us, right? That, that's a totally an unintentional thing, right? And so we read that and we think, oh yeah, that's, that's good. That's merciful. What happens if you're the brother of the guy who got hit with the axe head? I mean, I know what I would think. Now, I, I live in revenge fantasies most of my days. Okay. <laughs> so I am, uh, I love that. I, you know, it just, I do, frankly, you know, so I'm thinking about that all the time. Not all the time. I'm not that bad, but I, I do think a lot about that. And so I'm thinking the axe head flew off. Why didn't you make sure that it stayed on? Sounds like negligence at best, right? And maybe something worse. Why, why wasn't he making sure that the axe head stayed on? He's responsible. He needs to pay. Right? And that's getting at what's, what's going on in this text is the reality that, you know, you know, kind of a cool, uh, person looking from the outside can say, oh yeah, that was, that was unintentional. Well, you know, what has to happen here, and the text makes provision for this, is somebody has to make a determination about whether it was indeed unintentional and whether it was a deliberate thing or not, and that uh, there must be witnesses. And even at that, because human life is so precious, this person who unintentionally kills somebody with his axe head flying off uh, has to... to uh, Go and stay in a city of refuge and he can only, he must stay in the city of refuge until the high priest dies. And that's one of the things that we hear that and we think, well, that's such a weird thing. Why would you need to wait until the high priest dies? That, that seems kind of random, but think about it for a second. The, the fact is we have this odd thing in the text about blood being spilled on the ground and defiling it. And it defiles it not because it's violent, but because God lives there. The land is not just the home of the people, but it's the, the it's God's home as well. And so he sees that as something that defiles. And so a death is necessary to atone for that sin. And so in a sense, the death of the the uh, the high priest uh, serves in a, in a way as an atoning death so that the people who are in the cities of refuge who have accidentally, though uh, still, taken the life of someone else, uh, once that high priest dies, they can, they can go. Now, I thought about this and I thought, you know, I wonder if there were plots to do away with the high priest, right? So that, so that somebody, I mean, I'm a big believer in depravity, so I certainly think that, uh, uh, that folks, folks might have done something like that. But the truth is, what you have to see about that is, someone had to die to release these people from the consequences of this act. Even if it was an unintentional act, and even if, uh, they had no malice or anything like that, that it simply happened, right? A priest had to die. The high priest had to die. Next slide. Uh, the other thing that we note in this, this passage is this person, the avenger. Uh, now, when you hear that word, that sounds really terrible, right? Or maybe you think that you're thinking of a comic book, uh, a, a comic book character. But the, the fact is, in this culture, the way things worked was there was someone in the family who would be responsible to see to it that the honor of the family was upheld and that justice was done. Now, what's interesting about this is this word avenger, right, is the exact same word that's used uh, in Leviticus 
about buying your brother out of slavery after he has been sold into slavery. Like if your your brother got uh, uh, spent all of his money, had nothing left, and had to sell himself uh, to pay his debt, uh, after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him. That word for redeemed there is the same root of the word that this avenger is. But even more so, in Ruth, chapter 3, uh, we, we, we know sweet old Boaz. Old Boaz woos the beautiful uh, Moabite girl, right, Ruth. And then he takes care of her and provides for her and and uh, takes her and Naomi into his family, right? He says to her, remain tonight and in the morning. If this other relative will not redeem, will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you, right? Boaz is the avenger. Same word. Same word. Same concept. The honor of the family is at stake. Justice is at stake. Mercy is at stake. The honor of our father is at stake. And so someone has to go and do something about that to protect and to care for and to see to it that justice gets done. My dad and seven of his brothers and brothers-in-law went to work in the post-war years in construction. Uh, Most of that time was spent building power plants for what's now called Duke Energy. Uh, And several of my uncles worked from 1946 up into the 80s and even early 90s for Duke Energy. Uh, And it's funny because we see pictures, we have pictures of them when they worked there uh, in working construction, and they all have little shop caps on and they're in overalls, no hard hats, No ear protection, nothing. There was an attorney in Salisbury, North Carolina, who in the early uh, 90s began to notice these clients that she had were men who had worked construction for Duke Energy were all dropping dead of lung cancer. And she thinks, what's up with that? And so she begins to do some research and she begins to determine that they all have a uh, asbestos related cancer called mesothelioma. And so she begins to do some work on this. And so a couple of my uncles go to my dad and say, hey, you know, you worked for Duke all these years. Uh, you should see about getting a settlement because you they exposed you to asbestos. My dad. And two of my other uncles were like, they paid us well. It was a good company. It was a good job. When I needed a job, I'm not going to do it. Uh, Until he starts waking up in the morning and he's having trouble breathing. And so he goes, and sure enough, he has asbestosis. And so he participates in this, and he gets a little bit of money. And he gets a little yellow card that says if he has any disease or anything like that that's related to this, then they pay for it. Now, the dark side of the story is this. As early as the 1890s, people knew that asbestos caused cancer. 
And in fact, the uh, company that supplied the asbestos for Duke Energy knew it in 1924. My dad said he remembers being many days walking through the power plant and it was falling like snow. Three of my aunts died of mesothelioma from washing their clothes. I have asbestos effects because one of my cousins worked in the power plant when I was a baby and he lived with us and he played with me when he came home from work in his work clothes. Now, my dad got a little money. My uncle's got a little money. They're all dead. And this, in some way or another, contributed to all of their deaths. Did we get justice? Well, I can answer that question. I, I often think of taking the engineers and the people who knew about this and taking a piece of asbestos in their heads and joining them together for a few days and their children and their grandchildren and anybody else who loved or cared for them, right? Right? I mean, that seems really dark, but this is dark. So what I came to realize about that, and this is one of the things that is true of this, this sort of thing, uh, is if you don't believe that there's a God who sees and hears and who acts and who joins mercy and justice, because the fact is, though this woman acted in some ways as our kinsman redeemer, this attorney, to, to get some sort of payment for uh, these poor guys that, that were exposed to this, the fact is she can never restore what was lost. Do you see that? She can give us some money, but can she restore what was lost? And so, so the reality uh, that we come to about this is that we, when we think about what is justice and what is just and, and what needs to be done when, when someone has done something horrible in this situation, how, how can we get at that? And we, we need to be about the business of seeking and praying for and working for justice. But we have to understand that in the, in the way the world works and the way uh, our lives are, that true justice will only come to bear when King Jesus returns. And we have to see that justice and mercy meet in Jesus Christ being our Redeemer and our Avenger. And so in him, those two concepts where the, 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 the sin is paid for and it is addressed and the one who is affected by that sin is redeemed are come together perfectly. We love the, the story of the prodigal son, don't we? We love that story. Uh, in in Jesus' day, when they hear that story, what should have happened is that older brother, the righteous one, who never goes away, who stays with his father, should have been charged with the responsibility to go get his brother, to go buy his little brother back, to even take what was his, his inheritance, his share, and use it if necessary to buy his little brother back, right? 
And so the reality that we, we, we have to come to in this is that Jesus Christ does that for us. But he bears in his, himself the vengeance that is due our sin and he pays the price so that we could be redeemed. He brings those two things together in his life, death, and uh, resurrection for us. Uh, without that, we would have no clue about what's just. We would have no clue and no hope of ever seeing what was lost be restored. Thankfully, uh, Jesus does that for us. And so our hope as we struggle for justice today is the knowledge that he will bring it perfectly when he comes. On the 